Thank you, Tim. Good morning. This morning I had one of my nightmares almost come true, that you're preparing to preach or speak, and you realize uh, you're supposed to be at church before 9.30, and the clock says 9.30. Um, but thankful for phones and technology that update, so it was really 8.30 instead of 9.30. Um, so I had about an hour left to prepare and get ready uh, to come here to preach the word. I'm Drew Barnes. I'm one of the elders here, and I'm, it is my privilege and honor to bring the word of God this morning. I know we pray, but let us just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we do come humbly before your throne. We come with expectation to hear from you through your word today. By your spirit, may you humble and soften our hearts so that your truths sink deep within May you give us ears to hear these truths. May you give us minds to understand these truths. And Father, I pray that the words I speak, may they be clear. And may they come from you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. We are in a time of transition. Where we are now is not where we were before COVID, especially in light of sending Pastor Andrew B. to church plant out in Iowa. And yet, in midst of all this transition that is taking place, we've been talking about unity. That as elders and as a church, we desire to be unified as we go forth. And as we talked about unity over the last month in October, we are now transitioning into how can we continue to pursue unity. And I want to pr propose that we first must understand our union in Christ. That is our union with Christ, we are able to have unity with one another. And in light of this transition, there are things that are happening, and God's hand is at work, and I'm so excited of what's happening and what God is doing. I could share stories of the way God is working here through our congregation. And I'm excited for what's to come because I know and I believe fullheartedly that God has a plan for Meadows. And he wants to use us as a body to glorify him and to share the gospel and proclaim the gospel to the city of Rolling Meadows and the other cities surrounding Meadows. And so I'm so excited for what God is doing. And I, if you want to hear stories of how God is working, please find me after or talk with people around. I know that there are stories here that God is working. But if we continue want to be unified as a body, I pray that we will understand what it means to be unified in Christ. 
this topic of union with Christ. It's kind of has reemerged its head over a couple hundreds of years, but still, if you pick up a systematic theology book, something like Wayne Grudem, and you look through the contents of that book, you won't see a chapter on union with Christ. Or if you go to a Bible school and you want to take a class on union with Christ, you're not going to find a class on union with Christ. So maybe, how if I take a systematic theology class on union with Christ? Well, you look through the syllabus and you probably won't find a section on union with Christ. And so this topic, this theology of our union with Christ, I believe isn't spoken as much as it should be. And in fact, I believe that why it's maybe so complicated is because our union with Christ impacts everything who we are and our understanding of who God is. And so my prayer is over the next three weeks that we will start understanding just a little more of who we are in Christ and our union with Christ. And I praise God, and I'm so thankful for God, and I rejoice because I think Meadows is unique. It's pretty often I hear each other and affirming one another in who we are in Christ. I've sat in discipleship groups with men where we are affirming one another of who we are in Christ. I know that in Tuesday mornings and evenings in the women's Bible study, they're affirming who the, they are in Christ. This is happening in our live groups, in our youth. That there is something unique about here at Meadows that we are affirming who we are in Christ. And I pray and I, that we, that continues. And as we look at our union with Christ, that this understanding will just continue to, that we'll be in awe of who God is, and that we will find our identity and security in our union with Christ. And over the next three weeks, may we just come walk away rejoicing of who we are in Christ. So before we get into our text, I want to say one more thing about our union, or two more things with our union with Christ. First and foremost, everything that we will look at today in Scripture and in the weeks to come is only possible by the Holy Spirit. The Christian life starts with and is sustained by and it ends with the working of the Spirit. Without the power and support of the Spirit, we cannot grasp the things of God. And it is by the Spirit who draws ourselves to Christ. It is the Spirit who bonds and seals us to Christ. It is the Spirit who is rooted in our union with Christ for our salvation. It is by the Spirit that we are engrafted into Christ. It is by the Spirit that we are sanctified with Christ, that we are justified with Christ. We will explore those in the weeks to come. But my prayer 
is that we will understand and we will be in tune with the working of the Spirit within our lives and see how the Spirit bonds us to Christ. Second thing I want to address before we get into our text today is it may be helpful if I throw out a definition of what union with Christ is, but I'm not going to do that. Partly, it's quite difficult to give a one definition to union with Christ because it affects so much of who we are. As we already can see, if you look at this screen, we are sanctified in Christ, we're justified in Christ, we're crucified in Christ, we're buried in Christ, we're raised with Christ, and that's just scratching the surface. And so my prayer is not trying to give it a definition, but may we see it like a diamond. If you ever held a diamond, especially up to the light, it has so many different facets. And you look at it and you can see all these colors and it's shining bright. And you rotate and there's more colors, more beauty. And you could hold it at different angles And each time you turn it and look at it in a different light, in a different way, we get more beauty from that diamond. And so in the same way as we look at our union with Christ, while we could spend years our whole life just understanding our union with Christ, I hope and I pray that we will just start being in awe of what God has done and brought us sinful people into a union with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I could recommend, there are many good books out there on union with Christ. I could recommend several good books that I've read, but I'm not going to. Because I firmly believe that if we just read Scripture, that we can start understanding what it means to be unified in Christ. If you have a Bible software, and you're able to insert the phrase in Christ, just in the epistles alone that appears 89 times, that phrase. If you switch it up a little bit and you type in in him, that appears 52 times in the epistles. And that doesn't include other phrases with him, for him, um, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus. And so there's all of these different phrases. And you can see already that the authors of the New Testament emphasize in Christ, our union in Christ. And so I pray before we run to other books, before we read what other people have written on union with Christ, may we submit ourselves and study the word of God and see what God himself says about our union with Christ. Because I firmly believe if we open the word and we allow God to speak through his word, he's going to reveal and help shape what it means for us to know what it means to be in union with Christ. And it is a beautiful thing. I firmly believe that this word is all sufficient, is all sufficient to give us a clear understanding of what it means to be in union with Christ. So with that, our text for today is going to be Romans chapter 6. 
As you're turning there, I just want to give some background. Because this is the about middle of the letter. And so Paul has already said some things. He said some pretty bold things already. And so I just want to give some background before we enter Romans chapter 6. Chapters 1 through 3. Um, for some, this may be difficult passages. So he's describing the depravity of man. In chapter 1, verse 26, he's writing about the Gentiles and the Greeks, those who are not Jewish, and he's describing the depravity of man. And he says this, For this reason God delivered them over to their disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons an appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to their corrupt minds so that they do what is not right. They are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Although they knew God's just sentence, that they, those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they applaud others who practice them. Paul here is describing what we'll encounter in just a little bit, the old self. That without Christ, we are depraved, sinful human beings. Now for his hearers, the Jewish people, they may say, yes, come on, Paul, keep bringing it. Tell them how sinful they are. And maybe there's some people in here today that, hey, I'm in Christ, keep coming. Come on, Paul, keep telling how sinful this world is. But he quickly turns, and he's, in chapter 2, turns it to the Jewish people, his brothers and sisters. And he says this in chapter 2, 17, Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a God for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourselves? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You, must de- you who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it was written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And so now in chapter 3, he talked to the Jews, or the Gentiles, and he talked to the Jews. And in chapter 3, he says, hey, we are all sinners. We're all in need of grace. And so in chapter 3, starting in verse 9, he writes this. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, There is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is bad news. And I'm so thankful that Paul doesn't end chapter 3, verse 20. But we have this hope. Because in finishing chapter 3 and in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, Paul's main thing is that despite all of this sin, because of Jesus Christ and our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We are made righteous. And it's this glorious truth that we are no longer have to be enslaved to sin, but we can be alive in Jesus Christ. And this is our main theme, our big idea for today that Paul is getting at in chapter 6. And it's going to be the main theme that we're going to be uh, for us today. And starting in chapter 6, verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Part of our union with Christ is that we are justified. And we will be looking at what that means more in depth next week, as well with being sanctified. And so today, we're laying the foundation to what it means to be unified in Christ. And there is some good news. And I hope that we leave rejoicing and celebrating and worshiping this God who has brought depraved, sinful man into a relationship with him who is holy and blameless. So let's start. Let's read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died in, to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What glorious truth. Amen. Verse 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? This is a common theme and way that Paul writes. He proposes these questions that his opponents are probably thinking, and he then addresses them. And what his opponents and what he writes in this, in this question is, 
Can we profess that we believe in Jesus, but yet live in the land of sin? Can we set up a house and a temple and dwell in the land of sin, but yet can we proclaim Jesus Christ? What he says is absolutely not. Because you are to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I've been praying and I continue to pray that we would not live like these people, that we would not live as carnal Christians, that we would not profess Christ on Sunday, but then throughout the rest of the week dwell in the land of sin. I want to make it clear that even though we are united in Christ, yes, we will continue to sin on this side of eternity. But what I want to say is that this sin is not defining us, that when we do sin, that we are grieved, that we repent of our sin, that we feel the struggle, the wrestling between the Spirit and our flesh. That we seek God and know who we are in Him. And this is what Jesus is communicating in Matthew chapter 7 when He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. I pray so desperately that we would be a church, that we are submitted to this word, that we be submit ourselves to this, his authority and what he has commanded us, that we won't dwell and take up residency in this land of sin, but we would take residency in the land of grace. Because his word, his commands aren't oppressing. If you find his commands oppressing, we need to have further discussion. If you find his commands of not coveting your neighbor's wife oppressing, we should have some conversation. If you find do not steal oppressing you, we should have some conversation. But his commands are good. And so may we not be like these people who want to profess Christ but dwell in the sin that Paul describes in chapters 1, 2, and 3. But may we live and understand our identity that we are justified in Christ and we are made alive in Christ. May we dwell in the land of grace. And so with that, after all that, we go to point one. We have been crucified in Christ. Look with me in verse 6 of Romans chapter 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. What is Paul saying? Do I need to go up on this cross, be nailed to this cross? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is our old self the self that is depraved and sinful, the self that he described in chapters 1, 2, and 3, this old self has been crucified with Christ. By faith 
It's by faith that we, our old self, is crucified with Christ. What does this mean? That Christ himself was crucified. Jesus, God's only son, the living word took on flesh and dwelt among us. He and him alone lived a perfect, sinless life, completely obedient to God the Father, upholding all the commands perfectly. And he willingly went to the cross. It was at the cross he took upon himself the sins of the world, our sins, and he became our propitiation. It's at the cross where sin is defeated. It's at the cross where the King of kings and Lord of lords declares his victory. Do you see? It's not what we have done, but it's what God has done. And it's by faith that we believe that Jesus took our sins to the cross and nailed them to the cross. For the cross was cursed by both God and by man. Christ, hanging on the cross on the count of our sin, was brought under the full weight of this curse. Our sins were transferred from us onto him, and it's at the cross where Christ is triumphant. It's at the cross, which was full of shame, has now been turned into a triumphal chariot. The cross is victorious. And because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the cross, who took on our sins by faith, our old self also has been crucified. So then what are the implications of that? Well, Paul lists these implications. If we continue in verse 6, we have, so that the body ruled by sin, talking about our old self, might be rendered powerless. See, if you were crucified, they didn't just crucify people to torture them. They crucified people to put people to death. So our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old self didn't come off that cross and is now limping around on life support, following us along, whacking us with its cane. No, 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 no. Our old self is dead. And last time I checked, dead people are powerless. Our old self no longer has power over us. He gives another reason and implication to this truth that we are crucified in Christ. We continue reading in verse 6, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, and then so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. What a glorious truth that because we have been crucified, our old self has been crucified in Christ, we are no longer slave to sin. I'm sure that there may be some of you today and say, Brother, you don't know my sins. You don't know that there's been the sin or few sins in my life that just keeps coming over and over and feels like that I'm just enslaved to the sin. It just crouches at my door I just fall over and over to this sin. I want to speak 
and hear me. First and foremost, that you being in Christ are no longer a slave to sin. Sin is no longer our master, has no more authority over us. And if you find yourself where you feel the same sin over and over again, I want to encourage you that find brothers, find sisters that can come around you, pray for you, encourage you, remind you who you are in Christ. That you no longer dwell in this land of sin, but you dwell in the land of grace. Again, this doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But we are justified and we are sanctified. It means that this old self, this old self was enslaved to sin, that we had no choice, but we had to sin. Our new self, being crucified with Christ, we don't have to obey sin. And this is glorious truth. That by being in Christ, we have been crucified with Christ. So crucifixion, I already said, crucifixion leads to death. This is point number two, that we are dead in Christ. Jump back with me to verse verse 3, chapter 6 again. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Last week we got the honor to see several baptisms. And baptisms is a glorious thing that Christ has instituted to demonstrate us being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. See, baptism does not save, but it declares who we are and what we profess. It's in baptism that we believe Uh, It's in baptism that believers enter the water, indicating our old self has been crucified. And through immersion, we're dunked under the water, representing that we are now dead in Christ. See, baptism points to the cleansing of sin and the mortification of our old self. Baptism engrafts us into Christ, and it is the firmest bond that we have with Christ. Baptism is so important, especially here in our community and as in our Christian lives, because it's through baptism that we are united in Christ's death. I want to say... That we see baptism and when we go under that water, we are declaring that we have been, we died with Christ. This old self that Paul has talked about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is now dead. For Paul writes in chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. 
our sin leads to death. And so we may, some of you may be asking, why did Christ have to die? Why did this have to happen? Why do we have to die with Christ? Why did Christ have to die? Why couldn't he just snap his fingers and say, sin, be gone? It's because death, as Paul already said, the wages of sin is death, that we have to pay a penalty. If we look at our law of the land, if we break a law, there is a penalty that we have to pay. Some it may be a fine. Some it may be community service. For some, it may be imprisonment and jail. But there is a fine that has to be paid, depending on the severity of the crime committed, of the law broken. And in the same way, we all have sinned. We've all sinned because we've been born into sin, coming all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam disobeyed God. And so even our littlest ones, even my son and my daughter who are 17 months and 2 months old, while I love them and I love their smile and I love when I come home and Sadie wraps her arms around me and gives me a hug, deep down I know she's a sinner. My son, who's two months, he doesn't know it yet, but he's a sinner. I've told him that. And I've also told him that they need Jesus. And so our sin demands a payment. And that payment is death. Now I wish, I wish I could take away your sins. But guess what? I have sins of my own. I have debt of my own that I have to pay. I have to take care of that first before I could even take care of anyone else's sins. But Jesus, who lived a perfect life, had no debt. He had no sin. He had no debt. And so therefore, Jesus was able to take on our sin and pay our sin through his death. What glorious news this is. What great hope this is. So by being unified in Christ, we have, our old self has been crucified with him and we have been buried or we've died with him. And in verse 7, hear this, verse 7 since a person who has died is freed from sin. I hope that you are understanding this theme already that by our union in Christ, we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are freed from sin. Sin no longer has authority over us. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on that cross glorious news. I hope this news makes us rejoice and worship our God and our King and our Savior. I want to put a little bookmark here. Make a little mental note and put a bookmark here because we will be coming back. We'll be revisiting this as we look at that we are justified in Christ and sanctified in Christ. 
But for now, know that we have been crucified in Christ. We have died in Christ. Finally, we are made alive in Christ. Join with me in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. If you just read through this passage again, we don't have time to. I would love to read through and just notice how often Paul talks about newness of life, that we are alive in Christ. We no longer dwell and take residency in the land of sin, but we take residency in in the land of grace where we are alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 4, Paul writes, Therefore we were buried with him in baptism into death, in order that Jesus, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. See, our old self was crucified. Our old self died. But Christ was raised from the dead, and if we are in a likeness of his death, we too will be raised and resurrected just as he was, and we will have this new self. This isn't our old self and sprinkling a little Jesus on, or it's not our old self trying to disguise ourselves and putting new clothes on. No, 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 no. Our new self is completely different. It has new DNA. This DNA is that we are justified, we are sanctified, we are blameless, we are holy. We could keep going, just read through Ephesians 1. Read through any of the epistles and see the glories that we have of our new identity in Christ Jesus. We are alive in Christ. I pray, oh I pray, that these truths would sink and root itself deep in our hearts. And so when sin does come knocking at our door, say, no, 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 no. I know who I am. I know I am alive in Christ and I'm dead to sin. May we understand and know the riches of these truths found in Romans chapter 6. Because we're unified in Christ, what is true of Christ is true of us. Let me give this illustration. As many of you know, I enjoy golf. I teach golf. So I'm going to use a golfing illustration. If you've ever been golfing, or more specifically, if you've ever been in a golfing fundraiser, most likely you probably play a scramble. It's a format of golf where it's you and usually two to three other people. And so you have a team of four. And what a scramble is, everyone will hit their first shot, their tee shot. And from that, whoever hits the best shot, you all pick up your ball and you will go play from that best shot. You all hit from there, and hopefully you're on the green, and you all play from that best shot. And so he keeps going. So you could be the worst golfer. You can not even have ever played golf. But if you're on a team with the top professionals who can drive the ball 
300-some-plus yards in the middle of the fairway? And who takes another shot and puts it two feet from the hole and makes a putt? Because you're on their team, their shots count for your shots. And usually in this format of golf, if you have an understanding of how scoring works in golf, you want to be in negative numbers. You want to be under what we call under par. And so you could go 17, 18, 20 under par. That's a really good score. And that becomes your score. Even though you may have never ever played golf or you're the worst golfer in the world, that score becomes your score. Why? Because you are on the same team as these professional golfers. So you, that score becomes your score. And those truths of them become your truths. And in the same way, by being united in Christ, that the truths about Christ become our truths as well. And for today, those truths that we, our old self, has been crucified with Christ, that our old self is dead with Christ, and we are now alive in Jesus Christ, our Savior, because he is alive. I understand that there is tension still because we are not in eternity with him yet. We are still on this side of eternity. And, and it's hard because we live in a reality of already, but not yet. And we'll explore this in the weeks to come as we look at justification and sanctification. And so we still wrestle with our flesh. I know for me, this keeps me up at night this week, especially studying this text. Oh, I really felt the wrestling between the spirit and my flesh. And so know that it is a work in progress. And we will look at this as we look at being sanctified and what that means. But my prayer is that we will take these truths and it will be embedded into our hearts and that we will live out what Paul calls us in verse 11. And again, this is the big idea that Paul is driving at here for his readers and also for us today. So as you leave, may you, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these miraculous truths. Lord, that we are not our old self. If we are in Christ, we are made new. May we rejoice. May we celebrate this newness of life that you have given to us. May we worship and praise you our holy God, for the work that you have done through Jesus Christ. Father, when sin comes, remind us that we are no longer slave to sin, but we are alive in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.